Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Ghost Stories and Tales of the Macabre. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, two great dramatic versions of Edgar Allan Poe's stories. The first, The Pit and the Pendulum. The second, the weird circle version of The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym. These were presented by the U.S. Armed Forces Radio and Television Service, and they're very good. I hope you enjoy them, and if you do, please stop and give us a review for 1001 Ghost Stories and Tales of the Macabre. Thank you. And now, our stories. Appointment with Fear. This is your storyteller, the man in black. Here again to bring you another story in our series, Appointment with Fear. Edgar Allan Poe's story, The Pit and the Pendulum, adapted for broadcasting by John Dixon Carr. Jean Delbray, Captain Jean Delbray. Good fathers, gentlemen. We hear you, my son. I have been confined for many months in a dungeon. I have been tormented by nightmares. Our conscience, one trusts. Pray silence, Brian Tonio. Even now I have no knowledge of where I am or to whom I may be speaking. You are speaking to me, my son. I am Fra Pedro Despila, prior of the Dominicans of Segovia and Grand Inquisitor for all Spain. Is this the court of the Inquisition? It is. Then God help me. He will help you, my son. If you trust him. But I am a French officer. That is true. A soldier and creature of the archfiend Napoleon Bonaparte. But a French officer, nonetheless. A prisoner of war. By what right do you try me in this court? Let the clerk read the charges against this prisoner. Pray silence while the clerk reads the charges. The charges against the prisoner are as follows. Imprimis that he is one Jean d'Albray, a captain of artillery in the army of Bonaparte, so-called emperor of the French. This means nothing. As the prisoner says, it is no crime. Proceed. Item that on the fourth day of September in the year of our Lord, 1808, the said Jean d'Albray did wed, espouse and marry that most noble lady, the Donna Beatrice Valdez, niece and ward of the illustrious... One moment. Your Excellency spoke. Brian Tonio, was any cheat employed to trap this girl into marriage against her will? No. We have no actual evidence of any cheat. Was the girl of age? I believe so. Then wherefore is the prisoner here? This marriage was a deplorable thing, if you like. Bonaparte himself is almost at the gates of Madrid. His general, La Salle, menaces our city of Toledo itself. But lawful marriage, however regrettable, is no sin or crime. There are other matters in the indictment, I think. Then continue. But give us nothing that is not material. Item that on the 12th of October, 1808, the said Jean d'Albray, being in command of a five-gun battery of light artillery, did direct the fire of his guns against the Holy Church of St. Martha the Innocent. And thereby, of his wicked malice, destroyed the church utterly. Captain d'Albray, is this charge true? Yes, you admit it. Good father, hear what I have to say. 
The church blew up, I think. Would you boast of your sin, young man? It blew up because it was stored with kegs of gunpowder for your army. I had every right to fire on it. And that is all the defense you have to make. I tell you I had every right to fire on it. By military law. Is military law above God's law? I don't know. I did my duty. Long live the emperor. Captain Dalbray, hear the sentence of this court. Had your offense been any except this, the holy office would have been merciful. Mark what I say. No man, however great his heresy, is ever condemned to be burnt in the fire. The fire. The fire. The fire. If he first recant and acknowledge the error of his ways. But for you, Jean Delbray, there can be no mercy, no pity, no atonement. The only sentence of this court can be... Death. 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 The secular or government arm to which we must release you has devised two ways of punishment in cases such as yours. You hear the tolling of bells? I hear them. It is the procession of the condemned going to the altar de la fe. Soon the yellow light of the flames will stream through the windows and flicker on floor and ceiling. Most of those condemned out of mercy will be strangled before they are burned. It cannot be so with you, Jean Delbray. You must die in one of two ways. Either with the direst of physical agony. A slow fire of green wood. Iced bandages about the head and heart, so that the fire does not approach too quickly. Be silent, Fray Antonio. I cry your pardon, Grand Inquisitor. Or else, Jean Dalbray, you must die in a certain other way. Have done with this. Pass your sentence and let me go. The law does not permit me to tell you now what this other way is. It must approach you slowly and force itself into your mind. It must stalk you like a tiger. It must bring you face to face at last with the king of terrors. The sentence of this court, therefore... I had swooned, yet still I will not say that all of consciousness was lost. In the deepest slumber, no. In delirium, no. In a swoon, no. In death, no. Even in the grave, all is not lost. There are shadows of memory which tell me indistinctly of tall figures that lifted me and bore me in silence, down, down, still down until a hideous dizziness oppressed me at that descent into the earth. There was a vague horror at my heart because of that heart's unnatural stillness. Then this consciousness swam back to my wits again. Darkness. Stone floor. And darkness. Oh, Beatrice. Oh, my wife. Did you call me, Jean? Beatrice. Was that you who spoke? 
Yes, Jean. You, here, in the dungeons of the Inquisition? I am not really speaking to you, my poor Jean. I am only in your imagination. Am I mad, then? No, but your brain is fevered. You only think you hear me. I hear you clearly, as clearly as I once heard you. In the little church near the Ebro, where we were married. Yes, I destroyed that church, Beatrice. I had to. It was my commanding officer's order. I know, Jean. Be comforted, there are those who care. It is completely dark. There's hardly any air. I dread to get up, and I dread to stretch out my hand. <gasps> Suppose they have buried me alive. Courage. Can you stand up? I think so. Then walk. Walk as far as you can. Measure the limit of the cell. If this is not a tomb... You're right, Beatrice. As always, I'll try. Are you on your feet? Yes. Now pray for a poor devil who always meant well. One face. Two. Three. Four. You are very weak, Sean. Rest a moment. Where are you now, Beatrice? In the flesh, I mean. You know that, Jean. In the old house by the olive grove. Scorned of my people. Yes, I know it. Each morning I climb to the hilltop and watch. Go on. Sometimes I think I hear dunfields rumble in the hills. And long moving columns with the red dust rising about them. Go on. First come the heavy cavalry in plume-crested helmets. On their flanks, wheeling like hawks. Light hussars in blue and scarlet. And behind them, in a glitter of bayonets as vast as light points they'll see. Rank upon rank, the long gray coats and tall bearskin caps of... The old guard and the grand army! It is only a vision, my dear one. They do not come. Will they ever come, Beatrice? I cannot tell. Then I must face what has been prepared for me. Beatrice. Yes, John? I tried to walk. I took some steps. Four steps, yes. But in which direction? I can't remember. Are you facing in the same way? I don't know, perhaps. Then walk again. Try. Keep your hand in front of you. This robe impedes me, and the floor is treacherous with slime, but I'll try... Four paces. Five. Six. Seven. It can't be a tomb. Eight. Nine. Look out! I'm, I'm all right. I fell on my face. The robe tripped me. What is it? My hand is in front of me, lower than my face. But I feel nothing. Nothing, Jean? It's a pit, a circular pit, and I fell on the very edge of it. They would have made you walk into it. Yes, 
There's a loose fragment of rock just inside the edge. If only I can dislodge it. Listen. Water. There's something down there. Rats, it may be. Rats, yes, but... Something else. I heard it move. So did I. Accident saved me. They would have had me plunged there, symbolically, like the descent of the soul, to keep company with something else. And quick death forms no part of their plan. What is in the pit, John? I can't say. Did you say I was saved, Beatrice? Saved? From the Inquisition? My torture has been merely... postponed. A deep sleep fell upon me. A sleep like that of death. How long it lasted, I know not. But when I opened my eyes once again, I could see. Yes, see. My prison was large and lofty. Its walls formed of massive iron plates bolted or joined together. A wild, sulfurous luster, I could not trace its origin, lit up the dungeon and the circular pit. And the crudely daubed skeleton figures painted in evil colors on the iron walls. Skeleton figures, demon fillers, gargoyle figures. Their colors a little blurred, as from the effects of the damp. And I... I now lay on my back, and at full length on a low framework of wood. To this framework I was securely bound by a long fastening resembling a surgical bandage. Bound. But why? 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 Beatrice. Look. Where? At the ceiling of the room. Thirty. Forty feet up. What do you see? I see painted on the ceiling a figure of Father Time. Anything else? But Father Time carries no sight. He carried instead what looks like a, a gigantic pendulum from an ancient clock. About one thing I swear I am in my right senses. I saw that pendulum move. A painting cannot move. Yet I swear the pendulum did. It swung a little back and forth, just like a real pendulum. Try not to trouble your brain. Father Time is not like those other paintings daubed on the walls, the imps and devils and skeletons. That pendulum is real. It's... Beatrice, take care! Take care of what? You are not looking at the pendulum now. Take care of the rats! The rats on the pit! I see them. They're swarming out in dozens. You can see their eyes glitter. What are the rat across the hem of your dress? Did it, John? What do they want? They have caught the scent of the meat in the dish beside but you. But they'll not get it. Cat, you vermin! Move your hand above the plate, John. Move. Beatrice, where are you going? I can hardly hear you. You are sending me away, John. I sending you away. My poor loved one. 
You can't bear to see the rats running about my feet, can you? Even when you know I'm not here. Beatrice! This is true, Jean. You are sending me. Yes, it's true. In a cell swarming with vermin, there are others I had rather see here. I had rather see. If you call me Captain Dalbray, then in spirit I am here. Who are you? Don't you recognize me? No. I am that second inquisitor, Fra Antoni, whom you thought unfair at your trial. But we were not unfair. We administer the law. That is all. Go. I command you, go. Not until I have first told you what you already guessed. Which is? As the Grand Inquisitor said, there are two forms of death for such as you. One, death with its direst physical torture. The other, death with its direst mental torture. And I have been condemned to the second? Your guess is good. Listen. Do you hear anything? Yes. I hear something. Turn your eyes upwards. Look at the ceiling. The pendulum. Aye, the pendulum. It has descended. Only a foot or so as yet. As you notice, it is not really a pendulum. No? No. Its underside is a crescent formed of sharp, of razor-sharp steel. You mean... A ponderous weight, Captain Dalbray. Its movement is slow now, but soon it will take on momentum. It will swing wider and wider, 30 feet, perhaps. Presently, as it swings, you will hear it hiss. And with each broad movement, it will creep a trifle lower. The steel is directly above me. Yes, above the region of your heart. Lie still and look up at it. How long before? You need have no immediate fear. It will not be too soon. But how soon? Who can tell? In the name of pity, give me some answer. Hours? Perhaps days. Oh. Its motion can be arrested while you sleep. It's beginning to swing wider. I can't take my eyes from it. Its glitter fascinates you. See how it shines in that wild light. And this is your utmost refinement in cruelty. The law, Captain Talpray, is never cruel. And now, still in spirit... I leave you to your meditation. Minutes, hours, days. Down, steadily down it crept. Days passed. It might have been many days before it swept so closely as to fan me with its acrid breath. The odor of the sharp steel forced itself into my nostrils. To the right, to the left, far and wide. With the shriek of a damned spirit, 
to my heart with the stealthy pace of a tiger. Down, certainly relentlessly down, I prayed. I wearied heaven with my prayer for its more speedy descent. I grew frantically mad and struggled to force myself up against that swinging, glittering death of no avail. Down, still unceasingly, still inevitably down, the sharp steel flashed past within three inches of my chest. And then, only then... I heard you calling, Jean. I am here. Here is a strange thing, Beatrice. I am quite calm. You are resigned, then? No. That is a strange thing, too. Even now, I am not resigned. Is there no way out? How can there be ten, twelve more vibrations and it will fray the surge of my robe? Only lightly, as a razor in a delicate hand. There will be many sweeps before it bites deep. I can't escape it. And yet... And yet? Ah, if I could only use my wits. You kept me away from you, Jean. You locked me out of your thoughts. If I am here only in your thoughts, why should I fear the rats? The rats? You open your eyes and your eyes blaze. What is it? The rats! Do they still swarm here? Across the floor and over the meat platter. They have taken nearly all your food. Yes, yes, they are ravenous. And they have sharp teeth. Well? The meat is oily and spiced. If I take what remains of it, scatter you, vermin, and rub that meat on the bandages that hold me here. Try it, John. Try it. It may be too late if I move my body a fraction of an inch off. Try it, I tell you. Try it. Look, they scatter as soon as I do try. But they are watching you. I can see their eyes glitter. They are creeping back. Can I stand those rats crawling across me? Can the flesh bear it? One of them has leaped on the wooden framework. Another follows. They are gnawing at the bandage. Seven. Eight more sweeps of the pendulum. Does the bandage give way? A little. Lie still, lie still. Ten. A dozen rats now. Is death, I wonder, worse than this disgust? A dozen sharp knives could do no better. The bandage has loosened to ribbons. It can move sideways, carefully, and drop to the floor. Beatrice, I can't move. My arms and legs are numb. There is no power. The seal has sprayed your robe. A minute more will be too late. Try. Then, with all the strength that is in me, and the hatred I bear my enemies. Three. A second time. Three. Dijon, the pendulum stopped. They are drawing it back up through the roof. <laughs> Each move I make is watched. You never doubted that. No. Yet with all they could do to you, they have failed twice. They will not fail a third time, my dear. There must be no more dallying with the King of Terrors. What else can they do? I can't say. See how the rats gnaw in silence with the bandage. To what food, I wonder, have they been accustomed in the pit? You escaped the pit? I escaped it once. Listen. What do you hear? A groaning. A grinding as of metal. 
It was only the cogwheels of the pendulum knife. I think not, Beatrice. Why not? It seemed to come from behind these iron-plated walls. It seemed to shake the dungeon as a mill wheel might shake it. it... Stand up, my poor Jean. Get up off your knees. I can't, Beatrice. I can't endure anymore. The paintings on the walls of this dungeon. The skeletons and imps and devils. They seem... Different. They are different. The colors sharpen and grow bright. The demon eyes glare. The skeleton hands outstretched. Don't you catch even yet the odor of heated iron? Heated iron? I have been much humbled, but I won't have you see me in tears. I order you to go. Join the name of heaven. Yes, in the name of heaven, go. A suffocating heat pervaded the prison. A deeper glow settled in the painted eyes that glared at me. I could draw no breath of air into my lungs against the loom of that fiery destruction. The thought of the pit and its coolness came like balm. I staggered to the edge of the pit. I looked into it. The enkindled walls and roof lighted to it to its depths. Yet for one wild moment, even then, I refused to believe the meaning of what I saw. Does the pit please you, Captain Dalbray? You again? Do you find its contents pleasing? <laughs> Not the pit! Merciful God, anything but the pit! And how shall you avoid it? Look! The dungeon has changed its shape. That is true. The walls are closing in. It was formerly a square. And now it is flattening slowly towards the center to force me into the pit. Of course. It will force you along with me. Again, apparently you must be told, Captain Dalbray, that you are speaking only to your own sick fancy. I am not here at all. Farewell. And now, flatter and flatter grew the red burning walls. With a swiftness that left me no time for thought, I shrank back, but the closing walls pressed me resistlessly onward. At length, for my seared and writhing body, there was no longer any inch of foothold. I tottered on the edge of the pit. <laughs> there was a discordant hum of human voices. There was a loud blast as of many trumpets. The fiery walls rushed back. An outstretched arm caught my own as I fell fainting into the abyss. It was that of General Lasalle. The French army had entered Toledo. The Inquisition was in the hands of its enemies.
In this cave, by the restless sea, we are met to call from out the past stories strange and weird. Phantoms of a world gone by speak again the immortal tale, narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym. I was down on the waterfront looking for the old whaling vessel, Grampus. Captain Bernard was in charge, and though I hadn't seen the old captain in more than ten years, I still felt he was a pretty good friend of mine. I could remember him telling Dad and myself some pretty wild tales. I drank it all in, main rig, compass, and anchor. Maybe I never would have seen the old captain and his son, Weston, if I hadn't been visiting some friends in Boston. I was reading the shipping news one morning, and there it was. Benjamin Bernard. Experienced whalers wanted to man vessel Grampus, sailing July 13th, 1 a.m., 1881. Well, I packed my digs, slung them over my shoulder, took a lungful of salt air, and, well, six hours before sailing time, I was looking for the ship. It was dark as I walked down the waterfront, and I stopped the stranger. Yeah, bud? What do you want? I'm looking for a whaler known as the Grampus, and I think I'm lost. There it is, right in front of you. What's the matter, can't you read? Yeah, it seems that way. Thanks, fella. Uh, do you happen to know if Captain Bernard's on board? Yeah, he's there. You shipping out on her? I'm looking for a job. I'm pretty green, but I'm an old friend of his. So... I'm an old friend of his, too. I was out on his last voyage. I wouldn't ship out again under that yellow curve. I was to stop first. When Dirk Peters says, don't go, don't go. What's the matter? Is the ship haunted or something? Nothing's the matter with the ship. The captain's nuts. Are you sure you're talking about the same man I am? There's only one Captain Bernard, and that's him. He and his son both, two of a kind. Don't take my word for it. Ask any man that was aboard the Grampus last trip. Ask Sanford Allen, our second mate. Talk to the cook, little Tony Matsale and Sale. Ask him. Captain got playful and cut little Tony's arm off. Look, I'll take you aboard. I've been trying to collect my scratch ever since we landed two weeks ago, and I get word tonight it's ready. Uh, watch out for the loose boards on the gangplank. Yeah, I see what you mean. I'm right behind you. I don't think this ship's sailing tonight, Mr. Peters. Look at that sky. Ah, a little squall on bother Bernard. Human life's cheap. Climb over the gunnel. It's fastest. All right. Uh, it's a dirty-looking ship. Captain Bernard! Captain Bernard! Uh, I guess he's in the cabin aft. Call him in. Uh, that doesn't sound like a little squall, does it, Mr. Peters? Yeah? Oh, incidentally, my name's Gordon Pym. Everybody's got a name. Life is like that, I guess. Now we get on the passageway here. Captain Bernard, I... All right, men. Uh... Take Mr. Peters and his friend and put them in iron. What? What's yeah. this? Uh, you dirty swine, you double-crosser. Shut up, Peters. Take them down to the hold until we sail. Then we'll see what you have to say, Mr. We'll be in Shanghai, Mr. Pym. Shanghai! Four in the morning. Been aboard three hours, Mr. Pym. Your friend, the captain, ought to come below any minute with a pep talk. Now that we're too far at sea to swim back. Wait a minute. Allen. Sanford Allen. Is that you in the corner? Yeah. Kind of cozy, ain't it? 
All of us together here like this, huh? What'd they do? Slug you too? Yeah, with the old payroll gag. Come up and get your pay. And they slug you. <laughs> Guess who else is here? Tony? Yeah. Tony, how's it going, Tony? I stick at the knife in his belly someday. That's what the Tony Monteo do someday. Stick at the knife. Yeah, you better not stick at the knife or you get swinging the head on the gallows. They call that mutiny, Tony. Oh, uh, meet Mr. Allen, Tony. This is Pim, Gordon Pim. Hi, Hello. Pim. Hello. How long are we out for, do you know, Allen? Sure. Six months. You listen to Tony, Peters. Listen to Tony. We stick together this time, you know? He cut off my arm. Someday I cut off his head. Ah, shut up. It's a lot of gab. Not that's life, I guess. The, the captain says for you to go on deck. Well, 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 if it ain't the kid. What you doing aboard ship, Weston? Playing sailor? Mr. Peters, I, I didn't know that... I, I'm sorry that... Sorry. He's sorry. You didn't know that we was going to get shanghaied when you come down and tell us the pays rolls made out? You lying, sniveling yellow pig. Well, honestly, ah, I... Forget it. You're in the same boat. Oh, uh, here's a friend of yours, Weston. At least, that's what he says. Friend of mine? I have no friends. No friends at all. I... Watch out, Mr. Monteo. Don't touch me. Honey, no, not touch you. I don't want to get my hands dirty. We don't want no dirt in our food, huh, Tony? I... I can't help what Father does. I never wanted to be a sailor anyway. You know that, Mr. Peters. You know that. I hate the sea. Hate the doggone thing. Ah, oh, leave the kid alone. Come on, Alan, before the captain begins to howl like a bull. Hello, Weston. You don't remember me, do you? I... No. No, I... I don't. The name's Gordon Pym. I used to live next door to you in Nantucket ten years ago. You remember? Gordon. How did you get here? I came aboard looking for a job, and I got one, but not the kind I'm looking for. Oh, I hadn't any idea, Gordon. Gordon, wait till you see Father. Wait. He's so changed. All of us are so changed. You'll see. We walked slowly up to the deck, and we lined up. Two lines, ten men. Ten of the toughest, dirtiest-looking men I've ever seen. Captain Bernard kept moving his hand back and forth, sort of a nervous habit, and then started to stand muster. He didn't recognize me, and I didn't mention our old friendship. As the days went by, he seemed to take a kind of joy in making a fool out of me. But then he didn't treat his own son any better. As for Peters, he hated him and wanted to get something on him. But Peters was smart and stayed out of trouble. He was the only man who wasn't flogged during those first 40 days at sea. One night, we called the ten-man crew to a secret meeting and advised them never to try and talk to the captain. Well, a storm was brewing on the 42nd day of the journey, and I was called into the captain's cabin. I opened the door. You call for me, Captain? Yes, Mr. Pim. I called for you. Shut the door behind you. They're just standing there like an idiot. My son tells me that you're giving out free advice these days. Gordon, I didn't. I didn't. I, I swear. Shut up, you sniveling swine. Calling you my son makes me ill. Father. <laughs> now, Mr. Pym, I heard you've been advising the men to obey me blindly because you think I've an idiot mind. 
Captain Bernard, I said nothing of the kind. Don't lie to me, Mr. Pym. I've known you for many years. Oh, so you do remember. I couldn't very well forget, could I? Despite my idiot mind. I tried to treat you as I've treated the other men. You've taken advantage of me. Whispering behind my back. Trying to turn my son against me. Plotting with Mr. Peters. I'd have none of this on board my ship. Gordon, he's making it up. I, I never said it. Are I, you I never said calling it. me a liar, Weston? No. No. You see, I... Mr. Pimp? My son denies it now. That I checked his story through our cook. I don't admit it, Mr. Pam. I thought I was helping. That's what I told him, Gordon. Shut up. Helping me. Since when have I asked for your help? Answer me, Mr. Pam. Answer me. Well, you didn't, sir, but... But what? What did Mr. Peter say to you about my idiot mind? He said nothing at all, sir. Nothing, is it? No, sir. Tell me the truth. It is the truth, Captain Bernard. Liar! I'll cut your lying tongue out with my own hands. What did Peter say? Nothing, sir. Nothing. Leave him alone, no. Father. He's telling the truth. Don't hurt him. He's my friend. Mm. My only friend. The only one I ever had. I'll leave him alone. Since you love this friend, my son, I'll allow him the pleasure of trying to make a man out of you. Mr. Pim? You'll take this neveling son of mine and tie him securely to the mainmast. No, Father. Forty-eight no. hours. No. Then when he's securely no. tied, you will report the deck for 40 lashings until I get the truth about Peters out of you. Yeah, but it's suicide for a man to be tied to the mainmast in this weather. If anything Captain... happens to him, Mr. Gordon, you'll pay for it with your life. So be sure he's tied securely. Those were the captain's orders, and we obeyed him. The wind was screaming through the sails like an insane witch on a broomstick, but Weston and I climbed to the cross trees of the mainmast. It was a tough climb, and I think he knew then it was the end for him, but he was afraid to disobey. When we reached the cross trees, I lashed Weston's arms and legs firmly, hoping he could survive the storm. By the time he was made fast, I patted his hair and tried to soothe that poor lost boy. The last I remember of him was his tear-streaked face and the look in his eye. I waved goodbye to him and climbed slowly and carefully below to report for 40 lashes. Captain Bernard, Mr. Pym reporting, sir. Take off your shirt. Yes, sir. Place your hands behind the whipping post and hang on securely, Mr. Pym. And think carefully. Try to remember the words Mr. Peters said. About my idiot mind. Yes, sir. The mainmast, Captain Bernard. It's the mainmast. Watch out for the mainmast! He's cracking! He's falling! Get out of the way! Weston! Weston! You fool! If you want to overboard, save him! Weston! Weston! Watch overboard! My son! That's your son, Captain Bernard, and you killed him! You dare say that to me! You murdered. Yes, I warned you of this, but you wouldn't listen. I'll say it. I'll say you're insane. Peters! Peters! Throw this man in hands! Are you talking to me, Captain Bernard? Throw this man in! Take your hands! Help me, Peters! Take this man hands. isn't going to captain the ship any this longer. This is only Mr. Pym! Do you realize that? Do you want to swing on the gallows, Mr. Peters? I can't hear you, Captain Bernard. Ain't that a shame? 
I just can't hear you at all. Storm's let up for a little while, and the course is set. Do they know, Gordon? I thought we'd tell them when they got here. Well, we got to work fast. This calm ain't going to last, and we won't be able to steer no course at all with the mainmast gone. Hey, what's this special meeting about? Oh, look, Alan. Look at the captain. Hey, look at him. Did you? Yes, Mr. Allen, it's a mutiny. Are you with me? I copies the head off. No. Shut up, Tony. I ain't getting mixed up in no mutiny. Is this your idea, Gordon? Yeah, it's my idea, all of us. If any man swings around here, it'll be me, so listen to me. You should have asked us, Gordon. We don't like getting dragged into something like this. Now listen to me, man. Nobody will swing for this if you use your heads. Nobody has to know this is mutiny. Sure, he's all right. We'll kill the captain. Tony Montel copies the head off. And then we say he chose to die. Now... No, Tony. We can make this look like a shipwreck. The captain gets put in a lifeboat and set adrift. No, no, Tony, Tommy, get off. Shut up, Tony. Go on, Gordon. Now, we all know the captain's nuts. In two or three days alone on the ocean, he'll be a babbling idiot. Idiots don't talk sense even if they're found. And even if he is found, he'll look like a shipwreck victim. What about the boat? We're going to scuttle her. Get off in lifeboats when we're near land. Within two days, we'll be ten miles off Cape True. We can row to safety, and it'll be up to you men to keep quiet. Now, are you with me, men? No. We're with you. We're with you. All right. All right, let's go. And work fast, you monkeys, because we're in for a whale of a blow tonight. I was so smart. Smarter than anybody. You could see it then. I had the whole thing planned perfectly from beginning to end. We lowered the captain in a lifeboat, gave him some biscuits, a compass, and a jug of water. But I didn't figure on the storm that was to come. But the storm broke soon after in all its mad, screaming fury. We couldn't control the grampus. She was like a wounded animal, and I thought for a minute she'd sink by herself that night. There were eight men left then, being the kid and the captain was gone. We had to lash ourselves to the deck to keep from being swept overboard. But during the night, four of the men were lost. It seemed to me that the ocean was fighting back the mutiny. Water poured into the ship. The entire belly of the ship was waterlogged, and only the top deck was riding above the ocean. There were three lifeboats on the Grampus before the storm, but we lost them during the night. And then, toward morning... Alan screamed out. You blasted fool, Gordon. We can't scuttle the ship even if we want to now. What do you mean we can't scuttle it? It didn't sink, did it, Mr. Peters? Ah, shut up. The hold of this boat is filled with empty oil casks, isn't it, Mr. Peters? Yes, Alan. I forgot about that. Well, what's the difference? Difference? You land lover. Them empty oil casks is full of air. They'll act like a balloon and keep this rotten whaler from sinking. Is that true, Mr. Peters? Yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, we can set the ship on fire. What good will that do? We've burned alive. Call him and say no, set the ship on fire. There's no life about. Yes, Trey. Ah, shut up, Wally, and let me think. Just gonna have to set tight and wait. Wait for what, Peters? Wait and pray we get saved. 
Maybe a ship will pass. You will hang, Peters, if we're saved. You and Gordon will hang. I had nothing to do with the mutiny. Me and Tony's free and clear. Ain't we, Tony? Yeah. Yeah, nothing to do with the non-mutiny. Just wait. Wait. Wait and pray. We did wait and pray. Waited for 13 horrible days without food or water. 13 days. And then one morning, Alan began to complain as usual. Oh, thirsty. So thirsty. How many of us are left, Gordon? It's not light yet, Peters. I don't know. How do you feel, Gordon? I'm not sure. Take it easy, kid. The sun will come up shortly. Alan. Yeah. Where's little Tony? Tony. He isn't around. Listen to me, both of you. There's just three of us left. None of us can last very long floating around on a on a derelict ship. None of us. But there's a chance. There's always a chance we can be saved. If we can last. What are you getting at, Alan? One of us will have to die so the... so the others can live. One of us must. No. No, Alan, if we all die here first. Maybe you won't, but I will. You're the ringleader, Gordon. You started this thing. You'd hang if we got to land, so would you, Peters. But I'd be free. I got a knife. Put that knife down. Alan's right, Gordon. If any of us is going to live, one of us has got to die. Oh, Peters, no. It's better to die than... Gordon. I know what I'm saying. Alan's right. It's two against one. Yeah, two against one. We're going to choose for the privilege. There are three pieces of wood. Take them, Gordon. Hold them in your hand. The man who gets the shortest stick is the victim. Is that level with you, Alan? Sure. All right. Put your knife right here in the middle. Okay. There it is. Okay. Choose, Alan. This one. It's short. Uh, my turn now. There. Yours is the long one. Put is the shortest minor, Gordon's. Let's say. Gordon? Yeah. It's you, Alan. No. No. No, I won't. I'm the one that should live. I'm innocent. Give me that knife. Let go of it, Alan. Oh! You double cross. Take that, Peters. And that. You... Uh, now I get the knife. And no, Peters, you... you... Oh. Dead, Peters? Yeah. I just... What's the matter with you? You all right? Oh, I'll be all right. I'll always double-cross Alan wounded you badly, Peters. Oh. I'll get some salt water and wash the blood off you. That'll keep the wound clean. It's too deep, Gordon. Look. Look ahead. Look, Gordon. I see the outline of land ahead. Land! Ah, it's just a mirage, Peter. You think it's land. No. Look. 
straight ahead. You're right. Land. Land ahead. We'll be saved, Edith. Edith. Peters was dead. Peters and Allen lay side by side. I climbed over the gunwale of that ship and started to land. I don't know how I ever made it. I couldn't swim four miles in good condition, yet I swam four miles after 13 days of no food or water. I climbed out of the water, wet and tired, and fell exhausted on the beach. I don't remember what happened after that. I was in a native village of some sort, I knew, and some native women had taken me in and cared for me until I was well. They thought I'd been shipwrecked. They would have kept on thinking it, too, if it hadn't been for the first day I was well enough to walk around. I stopped in at the settlement's only inn to figure things out. And as I opened the door... What do you mean there's a derelict ship out there, huh? I mean what I say. All the grampus. This old loon keeps saying he was once the captain of that ship. Oh, loon. I'm crazy, huh? You men think I'm crazy. But I'll prove I'm sane. There was no shipwreck. It was mutiny. Mutiny. And my son was killed. He did it. Yes, he did it. Mutiny. And he did it. There he is. Right there. Standing at the door. Look at him. Don't let him get away. Don't let me get away. Hey, mister. You mustn't get away. Mister, come over here. Talking to me? Yeah. Come on over here to this table, stranger. This old loon claims he knows you. Yes, I know you. Don't I? Then answer me. You were hired on board the Grampus and led a mutiny against me in your swing for it. I was picked up three days after you put me in that rowboat. I've stayed alive for one reason and one reason only. To watch your body swing from the gallows. Tell these men the truth. Speak up, man. Speak up. Are you a Gordon Pym? I demand an answer. Are you a Gordon Pym? Well, mister, are you? It's your word against his. Tell the truth. Are you a Gordon Pym? Frankly, I... Don't know who I am. I guess I'm just something washed up out of the sea. Yeah, I'm just somebody washed up out of the sea. From the time-worn pages of the past, we have heard... Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym. Bellkeeper, toll the bell. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
Thanks for listening, everyone. If you'd like to hear more of these Armed Forces versions, please do let us know through a review. We would appreciate that very much. It's 1001 Ghost Stories and Tales of the Macabre. Thank you.